Hello and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping city executives inspired, healthy and in shape. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist in Harley Street, London, specialising in fat loss, gut health and hormone optimization therapy. Today we have the privilege of having Margot Wells on the show. Margot is a performance fitness coach who specialises in speed and functionality. Margot is the genius behind Alan Wells, the Olympic gold medalist, 100-metre sprinter in Moscow in 1980, and the silver in the 200-metre also. Margot, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Pleasure. Nice to see you. So, Margot, actually, what started you off interested in sprinting and speed in general? I've always been able to run fast. As a child, I could just beat people, not just by a little bit, by miles. Um, and I used to say to my father, why can I run faster than everybody else? And he, bless him, he never knew the answer. And he used to say things to me, oh, your legs are longer than theirs. And then I'd think about it and I'd come back and say, well, surely if my legs are longer, they take longer to go to move than short legs. And then he would say, um, well, because you're taller than everybody else. I said, yeah, but surely that means, I said, if the small person can run fast, and in the end he got so fed up. And he said, I don't know. <laughs> and, and then, but I was always, I mean, like, I'm talking 12, 13 years old. I was fascinated to know how somebody could run faster than somebody else. And years later, years later, I said to him, Dad, remember I used to ask you if you want, you know, why I could run faster than other people and you, and you said you don't know. I said, I know now. Do you want me to tell you? He said, no. I didn't know then and I don't care now. <laughs> and um, I think he was traumatised by the, in, the questions. But, so I've always been able to run fast naturally. <clears throat> And all this, you know, this is a sprinter's born or made or whatever. Um, I've had experience of both. Um, I could naturally run fast. My husband wasn't even the fastest person in the school. He was fast, but he wasn't, you know, outstandingly fast. Um, I won the Scottish schoolgirls. He didn't. Um, so I've sort of always grown up. And the intimidation factor went... I used to turn up, whether it be a hockey game or a netball game or an athletic track, and they would say, oh, my Lord, is she's here. And that, for a child, is massive. So it still holds well today. Because what do you do if somebody could run faster than you? There's nothing. There is absolutely nothing you can do. There's no defence against it. It's just, to me the most exhilarating feeling. Alan described it as like flying. Mm -hmm. So receiving that as a child, that validation, mm. that must be something that you do with your coaching now, with your coaching clients. Oh, hugely. I always say I live in their head. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the body and the, the mental and physical requirements to play whatever sport it is you want to play. The rest is up to you. And that's whatever sport you want to play. Whatever sport you want to play, I coach golfers, I coach hockey players, I even coach a 3D eventer and that's been fascinating because she said to me, her horse couldn't do this, couldn't do that, couldn't do whatever and since we've been working, it now can. I said, well I haven't been working with a horse, so it must be you and the more I change her body, the better her horse gets. Wow. It's brilliant. It is brilliant. Now, I heard a phrase once that if you can't move your own body weight, you've got no business moving big weights in the gym. And I know that you're a big fan of bodyweight exercises. So tell us how you incorporate that in your training. My husband won the Olympics, never lifting a weight. 
Really? You only use body weight. That's, I can back that statement up. We use the speedball, which is the most phenomenal piece of equipment. If somebody said to me, you can have one piece of equipment in the gym, it would be a speedball. We warm up with it. It sets up a neuromuscular pathway far faster than anything you can do. It helps concentration. It helps um, hand-eye coordination. It balances the body on both sides, so you're not just using one arm. It is phenomenal, and that's what we did. We did a lot of power training, which again is body weight, a lot of bounding. He was a long jumper, so he had a history, a background of this power. Um, but he did not do weights when he won the Olympics. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And I, I like the, the fact that you said about each body on um, each part of the body being balanced. balanced. I spend because... my life balancing bodies. If you put the body back into neutral, mm-hmm. you will eliminate a lot of pain. Point of pain is rarely source of pain. And it's created by the body being overloaded. Like, if you have to run, you run with your whole body. You don't run with the top half, separate from the bottom half. In fact, as we go on in this conversation, you'll just see how important that statement is. So I train the whole body as a unit, Mm -hmm. not upper body only, lower body only, because that's not how you move. Mm -hmm. And also... I like the phrase, you can't tackle what you can't catch. And that's one of your favourite phrases from rugby, I believe. It is. is. A lot of my clients used to play rugby at school and then they got a job in the city. They started to get into unhealthy habits. They put on weight. They start a family and then they forget themselves. And my way of encouraging them back into uh, becoming fit and getting in shape in general is by awakening that younger athlete within them to to whet their appetite again for rugby and get faster. So what... Um, back to you can't tackle what you can't catch. I love that mm. phrase. Rugby practices tackling day in, day out, week in, week out. But if you can't tackle the person, it doesn't make any difference. Uh-huh. If you can't catch them, what are you going to do? They just run past you. So I say to them, do you, you know, you do loads of tackling. And they go, yes, 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 we do loads of tackling. I said, but if you can't catch a person, so do you do loads of speed stuff? No. <sighs> You can tell by the silence. That's what they don't actually answer it. And then I'll say to them, "What's the most important distance in rugby?" They even have to think about it, which is a bit worrying. It's the first five meters, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't seem to practice that very much either. Mm-hmm. And I'm at a huge advantage mm-hmm. from anybody else because my knowledge of speed was trained on the fastest man in the world. So everybody looks slow. Absolutely, everybody looks slow to me. Even people who everybody else thinks is fast is to me looks slow. So it's easier for me to have come from there down mm-hmm. than it is from there up. I get that. and know everybody has had the advantage of that. But look at what you need to play, whatever sport it is. It doesn't matter, right? Do you need to be able to run slowly for a long time? Well, if you're running, you know, even a marathon runner runs slowly for a long time. Do you know what I mean? No, you don't. You have to run fast for a long time. You have to be able to accelerate off the mark. You have to have the intimidation on a field. And there's no point in saying, well, uh, you know, I'm 105 kgs. Nobody's scared of big people. They're scared of fast people. Interesting. And if the front row get fast, then that... Well, I coach Kyle Sinclair and he can run Mm -hmm. when he plays for England. All my props can run. There's no reason why, you know, it doesn't matter where you play. You need speed. Uh-huh. You need other things, not just speed. You need to be able to do all the technical things as well. It's not just a one you know, show, but 
Lordy, does it make your life easier? <laughs> and now, a lot of the uh, hype in the media is about cutting carbohydrates, and I know that you are a fan of carbohydrates. So what's your view on carbs? If I haven't got energy, mm-hmm. can't train it. The, the killer for me is somebody turning up with no energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, my opinion is you have to fuel the, the body to do the exercise that it's about to do uh-huh. in a continuous manner. Uh-huh. So that, that's the bottom line. Have this you, is assuming somebody who's fit already. Well, you see, that, that, my fitness and their fitness are different. Um, even if they're fit, uh-huh. see, if in rugby, you're getting whacked all the time. You need a certain amount of fat to cover your muscles as protection. So you don't want to be some ripped skinny malink nor do you want to be a great big heifer that can't move. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? You have to find the, the happy medium in between. Mm-hmm. When, I, I, when I first coached Kyle Sinclair, and at the end of the first session, I said to him, how do you feel? He says, like a normal person. I said, what do you mean like a normal person? He said, my back doesn't hurt, my knees don't hurt, I can walk properly, I don't look like... Uh, my favourite saying with him was, I said, when I first met him, he looked like he'd been hit in the head with a lift shaft. Do you know what I mean? He was like, dunk. Um... Yeah, you know, it's shocking how much uh, how much I hear people say I've given up running because my knees got sore, my lower back got yeah. sore, my shoulders got sore. But that's because they're not functioning as a unit, uh-huh. right? If every part of your body does the job it was intended to do and support is supported by every other part, uh-huh. they, you're very unlucky if you get injured. Very unlucky. I mean, rugby's an impact sport. Uh-huh. You're very un- unlucky if you get injured. You know, for the person that um, is just wanting to do it for enjoyment. Well, it's not going to be enjoyable if it hurts. Uh-huh. Um, so, to me, and this is basically how I created functionality, I looked at all the world-class sports, right? So who moves better than anybody else? Federer, rarely gets injured. Messi, Danny Cipriani, the athletes, the top world-class athletes, all these people. And I thought, you know what? They've been gifted this naturally. And that's a bit unfair. So I can create it artificially. Wow. And that's part of your training. That's, my, that's what I do. It's a huge part. And before somebody's allowed in my squad, I will lay out like, you will have to do this. So it allows me to coach and spend my time coaching, not fixing bad bodies. Uh-huh. I do have when they first come in, but it doesn't take me very long. Is that what inspired you to open Wellfast? That as well as the state of the fitness industry at the moment? And I know... You've... I think every child should be taught how to run. That's why I created Wellfast. Mm-hmm. And the people come to me and say, oh, you know, he's been, you know, doing this sprint course and that. I say, is he faster? And if they've still got to stop and think about it, the answer is no. Because you make somebody faster in, yeah, my favourite saying is I can make your yard faster in five minutes. Mm-hmm. I've actually been timed at three and a half. But um, the look, the smile on that kid's face, well, I don't face for that when they can feel running fast. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing. I mean, it's such a gift to me to be able to do it. And I think everybody, you know, even if you're not a sporty kid, even if you just want to, you'll enjoy it better if you can move properly, if you know that, you know, that, that, you know the best kids will always be the best kids. The most talented kids will always be the, the most talented kids. And some kids, that's what they're good at. And it's the only thing in school, you know, they might not be the best English, math and science. And why is it okay to be the best at that, but not the best in sport? 
because a lot of these kids, that's, you know, a huge thing for their self-esteem. And I know because it was mine. I mean, and I was clever. Um, oh, still I'm clever, I hope. But <laughs> the, do you know what I mean? These, um, you know, it's bad to compete. You can't make people feel bad by being last. Well, my dad said to me, somebody's going to be last. I said, well, as long as it's not me, I don't care who it is. Um, do you know what I mean? It's life. People fail in life. Mm -hmm. So if you don't learn how to fail and how to deal with the failure, you know, my favourite saying is, bad things happen so better things will come in. And it's literally it's survival a survival of the process. fittest. It's a learning process. How would you let You learn from making mistakes. So, you know, the guys on the rugby field come off, oh, I did this and I did that. I say, what did you learn? You know, it's a learning experience. It's a positive experience making a mistake. It's not a negative because you'll learn not to do it again. Mm-hmm. You'll learn or they'll come to me and they'll say, Margot, I couldn't do this or I'll see it and I'll say, right, so we need to work harder on this and this and mm-hmm. this so that that doesn't happen again. And it's just life. But it's not just kids that you train. You, no. you, your age ranges are? Um... 16 to 34. Okay. Nice. And you said it's a privilege to give someone the gift of speed. Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. It is just, I mean, I jokingly once said, if I would, if you could, I would divorce Alan and marry speed because I love it that much. Um, It is just the most amazing feeling you know to run past people to run away from people and when people have never been fast and you can just give them that gift and you see the look on their face the feeling of exhilaration as they you know sprint speed is massive I say to people people say to me oh I can run yeah 10-5 I said that's running fast that's not sprinting and when you talk to a group of world-class sprinters Mm -hmm. they're all the same they all think the same I've actually had the privilege of meeting every Olympic 100 meter gold medalist since 1948 wow what's that like amazing because they're all the same the wives all had arguments as to whose husband was more selfish than the other one but even Valery Borsov who's Ukrainian but was part of the Russian system um had the same sense of humour as Alan. And to be honest, when they were talking, I felt like an intruder. I just stood at the side and listened to them. Um, but they're all the same. They think the same. Up until 1980, they were even, apart from the very early ones, from the sort of 60, they were even all the same height. Um, it was fascinating. It was a huge privilege to be able to observe these these guys who'd all achieved the same. And when people have achieved the same, there's no, nobody's jealous, No, there's no animosity, nobody thinks, you know, my gold medal's better than your gold medal. There's no, there's an affinity that's like a club. Mm. There's no ego. No ego. The people below who haven't achieved, they're the people that cause you all the problems. Yeah. Um, but to be able to give that to people and to, you know, help people, my job, this is how I see my job, is to help people achieve their dreams. Mm. Somebody once, well, I was trying to watch a rugby game in my defence and asked me what my job was. I said, I make dreams come true. Lovely. Because that's what speed does. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It, it, 
you know, and, and the question I say to people, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And it, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's first team at school, the Olympics, whatever it is, as long as they have a dream. I have sayings in my gym. One of them says, I didn't come here to be average, I came here to be awesome. Another one said, if at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way Margot told you. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, I've got more. Well, we're here today because we are celebrating one of my uh, amazing clients who's lost all this body fat and who's put on lean muscle tissue and he's um, had uh, a dream to train with you today. But mm. he is over 40, so that's going to be a, a challenge. Oh, it doesn't matter. I have done, I have done ancient people. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. As long as he has a dream to want to do something, whether it be run faster, run pain, without pain, um, train in a manner that is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to me what the goal is, as long as they have one. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're celebrating whatever speed he is because yes. he's done so, so well. Yes. He's been so consistent and he's done well whilst having a job, whilst having a family, all of that. And yeah. he's just managed to keep it all together. But it's wonderful. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And I I'm scared. I'm scared that you're going to train <laughs> me and I, because I used to do dancing. I used to enjoy exploding my body. And then with weightlifting, which is a really fundamental for body composition. Um, You've screwed up. I, I well, I, I no longer can move the way I used to. I can't do the splits. Yeah. I can't. I've lost. I feel I've lost functionality. Although I have yeah. well, increased lean muscle tissue. My other favorite. Sorry for interrupting. I get, no, it's fine. I get ahead in my brain. Gets ahead in my mouth. And but if training doesn't make you better, why train? Yeah, but what is better? And that brings us on to the next thing. Is your agenda your your personal trainer's agenda? Who's setting the agenda for your training? Is it you or the trainer? What are you trying to achieve ultimately? And and you believe that the fitness industry needs some tweaking right now. So tell us about that. Oh, politely, it's not achieving what performers are wanting, but it's not addressing that issue. So the evidence is, uh, like. If you can make tests, give you the, you can make numbers, make them say whatever you want, right? But if you don't ask the person, you know, then the people are too scared to say, no, I don't feel good. Because then they go back to the coach and then their fear is they don't get picked or they don't get paid or they don't advance their career. There's, you know what I mean? Um... Now, mm -hmm. we never had that because it was only Alan and I. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't any fear factor. And, but now I see a huge fear factor in rugby. And mental, like if you overtrain badly, that's where depression starts. Yeah. And there's a lot of it in sport now. There it is. never used to be there. It never used to be there. People are overtraining causes depression. Not... You know, putting in a huge amount of effort and not getting the results for it causes depression. Well, not having Injuries enough, not having enough carbohydrates because yeah, the serotonin exactly. in the gut, which helps yeah, stimulate yeah. mood. Mm, do you know what I mean? It, 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 you know, there's a huge amount of factors here. Mm. Mm. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> this is somebody's dream and ambition. And it has a knock-on on how they live the rest of their life. If you're a successful person in sport or in business or anything else for that matter, mm -hmm. then... How you live the rest of the, your life is based on that sense of achievement. Now, it doesn't have to be. No, everybody can win the Olympics. But if you feel that you've, you know, given 100%, 
you've done the best that you could possibly do, then you can retire with the sense of satisfaction. Absolutely. If you're injured, you never achieve what you're capable of doing because you're permanently injured. Like, I've heard people saying, coaches saying to, to players, stop injuring yourself. Well, hello, <laughs> they are not injuring themselves. Mm. Do you mean? Or you need, you've lost your speed, you need to find it again. Well, what did he do? Go to a supermarket and leave it in the trolley. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can tell how wound up I get about these statements because it's not the performer's fault. If the for performer doesn't give 100%, yes, it's your fault. And there are people who will freely admit, looking back on their career, mm, do you know what I mean? I could have possibly done a bit more. There's a lot of people who did everything they could or that they knew mm -hmm. at the time. I mean... If Alan trained now, would he train the same? No, he wouldn't. Because I'm so much more knowledgeable than what he did then. And that sounds daft considering what he did achieve. But the if you've never actually coached anybody or done anything to the highest level, I'm not saying you have to do it yourself, but you have to have at least understood it. So I'll say to my guys, they'll say to me, Margo, you think six times 20 setups is easy? I said, no, I know six times 20 setups is easy because I used to do six times 100 setups and much harder variations of yours. So I've done that training. I know what it feels like to have lactic acid crawling up your ass. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And all the testing now is done in students. Well, they know, unless they're performers, you get a totally different result in your testing from a student to you would do to a world-class performer. Mm -hmm. But they go with the results of what they learn in uni. I'd say that your clients come to you because they're interested in performance. Um, I have to distinguish between clients who come to me who have got genuine gut issues and need to transform their health and how they eat and how they live, and those who are more aesthetically driven, who I don't really like the ego and the insecurities that have come from Instagram and uh, all of that. And you don't get any of that, I don't think. I don't think you get any of the aesthetically focused, you know, aesthetics before health mindset which I don't oh yes I do I get Margot if I, oh, what I says I don't care if you've got a six pack an eight pack or a 25 pack as long as you play well you do get speed gives you a high definition of a muscle mm -hmm. by the very fact it has to fire fast um, <clears throat> the I'll get people who come and haven't done my training and there's no definition in the muscle I said you look like a sausage do you actually say you look like a sausage? Maybe? I do. Um, <laughs> I am known for my being brutally honest. That sausagist. <coughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an insult to the sausage, to be honest. Um, do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. I How do. can you get a muscle to fire fast if there's no definition in the muscle? But it's not, that's not my end result, is to get definite in the muscle. It is cause and effect. Yeah. It is an effect in the training. It's not the reason why we do it. And, and that is something I try to instill. That's what I mean by think like an athlete. Also, what I love about your methodology is it's very respectful to the human design. So how the yeah. skeleton, how the muscles are all put together, it is respectful. And my teachings in nutrition is give your body what it needs and nothing mm. that it doesn't need. Only put something in there that's been designed to go in, nothing artificial, no processed mm. food, no processed thoughts, negative self-talk, mm. and no processed friends that might drag you down and, and, and affect yeah. your mindset. So oh, that's I mean, that's huge. Nobody likes people to be better than Nobody. Even people in the same team don't like people who can play better or get the headlines or whatever. <clears throat> I don't care. But you I were don't. always better. <coughs> I was. 
so that makes it easy. So you've been used to being hated <clears throat> all your life? I don't think I was hated as a child. <clears throat> Funny enough, Should children... we ask your friends? Because <coughs> you, you were always the fastest. Children give you respect uh -huh. for being best. And they don't hold it against you, I don't speak. Because they know they can never do what you've achieved. And so it's insecurities. It, it, it's their own egos. I mean, even like after the Olympics, I was accosted by a coach said, well, you'll be um, feeling you know, proud of yourself. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, we'll never achieve what you um, just achieved and walked off. Wow. So <clears throat> I used to come out the train, the training session where we used to train, going like this, pulling like daggers. And Alan said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm pulling the knives at my back. <laughs> wow. Um, but, you know, do I want to be me? Yes. Do I want to have, would I rather have my knowledge than everybody else's knowledge? Yes. Uh -huh. So if that's the price I've got to pay, then I'll pay it. So let's talk about your knowledge. You said earlier that if you had to mm. train Alan now, it would be different. Mm. Mm. And, uh, I mean... Are you going to set him up for the Olympics again? No, <laughs> no, no. So how, how did you train him then? What got him the gold? And what, how would you train him differently now if you had your time again? He got himself the gold by his application, his dedication, his <clears throat> desire, his dream, his... He got himself the gold. I didn't get him the gold. Um, I watched every night. I... You know, we, we, did, we would discuss. I was a symbol in his eyes. And that was the feedback he had. Like, I still never use a video camera. No, my eyes are much better. And if I look through a video camera, I can see what I'm looking at. Um, so he had the privilege of, like, we would be going home and he would say to me, what was my pickup like on the second 60 of the first set? And I could tell. I can retain visual things in my head and as soon as I told them that then it, I can erase it it's gone we've, we've dealt with it I do the same on, with the, the guy so 20 minutes into the first half you did this and you did that why did you go there and was like huh <laughs> I said watch the video and come back and tell me so it's it's the most stressful like people think I just had such a ball I was travelling the world so I saw tracks and I saw hotels and airports I should never have been put in a position at 27 year old sitting in the Olympic Games just oh, it was so stressful and I hate to say this now and it's very shallow but I'll tell you that I sat in the toilet before that Olympic final and if I could have stayed in the toilet and come out when the race was finished trust me I would have and I said if I can only have a, ever have one wish, let it be this. Now, I now realise the shadow, you know, how shallow that statement was. But that's, that's, it was the last six months, and only the last six months, were so encompassing. Even when it was finished, I had to keep saying to myself, it's gone. You won, it's gone. Let it go, let it go. Um, Is it addictive to do it again? Or? No, oh God, no. The last thing I want to do is do it again. Um, you know, but I was so young. Yeah. No experience, no coaching qualifications, of which I still don't have any. Um, the, you know, I don't know how to do it. I genuinely don't know how to do it. My solace was being a PE teacher at school. That was my breakaway from it. If Alan had been a full-time athlete, 
and we'd lived together, oh, that would have been a disaster. I don't know how people do that. Okay, you said that you slow down movement when you're up with your eyes on the track. Yeah. Tell us about that. It just happens naturally. I don't know if I trained myself to do it because I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm watching somebody run, I can tell you what every part of the body. Most people will look at one body part. I can tell you what everything is because I look at the whole. I don't look at you know, but I can, but I can see in the periphery. So I can see what his right arm's doing. His left is he running his arm and legs together. Is the strike force? Here's a, an interesting statement for you. If you want to run faster, you actually slow your feet down. Really? That sounds good. It is. And that's how it works. Because <laughs> the longer your foot's in contact with the ground, well, you don't want it to be there forever. Um, <clears throat> the more time you've got to push with it. And when Alan ran, Alan ran differently from a lot of people, especially in Britain. And somebody analysed it, and I said, you'll get... Alan run like a cat. I said, and I, to my knowledge, nobody, you know, coaches cats, big cats. How to run, not small one, big cats, how to run. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a cheetah runs really fast. So if you run like a cheetah, then that's good. But he was very powerful, and cheetahs are very powerful. Big cats are very powerful. And Alan was very powerful, so he was able to use that power to yeah, his best advantage. But, yeah, his brain, his sprinter's brain was phenomenal. Well, you're about to train me and uh, and... So, how, do I need to get ready now? Do I need to start warming up? Do I need no. to start step? No? Warm ups are usually overrated. Most people are knackered by the time they get to the session because they, over, they overstretch, they jog around the track, which makes you slower. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to run in the first place. I can't correct it. If you're at the top of the track and I'm at the other side, how am I going to correct your run? I don't know. How to you need immediate. No, I'll teach you. Most people don't know how to run, and it's simple. In the second half of this podcast, after you've done the session, you say to me, everything I said is simple. It is. Wow. Okay, I'm really honoured. So what do I need to do? What, what, what do I need to prepare for mentally? Just go on the track and run. Go there and listen. Okay, great. Well, listen, thank you very much, Margot. That's, that's, uh, we're going to get on the track now, and then we'll come back after, and uh, I'll tell you how it all went. Good.